0: Parshas Devotum exiled among neighbors. We're going to begin by studying some geography together. Now I understand that you didn't come here tonight for a school lesson, but I'm talking now about something bigger than that. We're going to study some divine geography together. Hakal Baruch Hu has his own geography lessons, and it's a pity that it's not studied in the schools this way. And so... We'll look at this week's Sedra about the nations that Hashem settled around at its Canaan. And we'll make a small attempt to study His geography. Not only where He settles nations, but for what purpose. And you can be sure it will open up our eyes. Instead of a geography lesson where a teacher with a wooden head is making students with wooden heads. We'll study some geography. I'll be tighter. And we'll gain... Torah heads, and now turn yourselves around and make your journey, said HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the Am Yisroel. I have given the land to you. Come and take possession of the land. That was the command of Hashem to his people as they began to make their way to Eretz Yisroel. And yet, there would be no straight path into the land. As they began to make their way towards Eretz Canaan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not give them a free reign to take any path that they wished. They were not permitted to make war against the surrounding nations at will. Every step would have to follow the divine plan. Some nations would be removed from Hashem's map forever. And some would remain to be the neighbors of the Am Yisrael. Sihon the Amori and his kingdom were destroyed by the Am Yisrael. Og Melchabashan also went lost forever. The land of Canaan was dissolved, never to be heard of again. But Hashem allowed Edom, Amon, and Moab to remain there as our neighbors, right on our border, for many years. As they approached the land of Edom, HaKadosh Baruch Hu warned the Am Yisrael to stay clear. For as an inheritance to the children of Esav have I given Mount Seid. And so they turned away from Esau and began to travel on the road to Moab. But there, at the border of Moab, they were stymied once again by the Dvar Hashem. I shall not give you an inheritance from their land, for to the children of Lot I have given it as an inheritance. And the same happened when they passed the land of Amun. Now, we are accustomed to reading the Pesukim of our Parsha, and we accept it, as a given that all these relatives of ours were settled around us? But we see now that there was a plan here. They didn't settle. They were settled. It was a plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that these nations should be left alone by the armies of the Am royal and the remain of our neighbors. Don't think it just happened that way. This was Hashem's geography. They were placed there. And they let us know they were there. Everyone who learned even a little bit of Nach knows that these nations weren't the best of neighbors. They were a permanent thorn in our side for years and years. Koamar <speaking in Hebrew> so said Hashem. Al kol shecheinai haraim about all of the evil neighbors. <speaking in> Hanoyim <Hebrew> banacholah who touched the estate. Asher hinchalti et ami et Israel that I gave to my people Yisroel, as their inheritance, Yirmiah. It's talking there about these inveterate enemies, who were always molesting and oppressing the Bnei Yisroel. They are forever called the Shehine Haroim, the bad neighbors of the Am royal But we're going to see tonight, that these neighbors of ours that are Kaddosh who settled on our borders were called evil neighbors for an entirely different reason than the years of harassment that they made the Am Yisrael suffer through. We'll learn now what it really means to be a bad neighbor. But this will require an introduction. So pay attention well now. In Mesech De Brochas, Reish Lakish is discussing someone who lives in a neighborhood where there's a shul to daven in, but he doesn't make use of it. Kol mi lo beit bi'iro, ve'einu nichnas sham Anyone who has a synagogue in his town, but he doesn't go there to daven. Nikra shachin ra. He is called an evil neighbor. Chazal bestow on him a special title of shame, a badge of dishonor. He's an evil neighbor. Now let's understand who we are talking about here. It doesn't say that he doesn't daven. He davens. Only he does so at home. Don't we know that Friday night some people permit themselves the liberty of davening at home. Some even do it on Shabbos afternoon. Friday night and Shabbos afternoon. You don't see them in Jule. Of course. We give them the benefit of the doubt. There are lots of other synagogues, but you know what the world says. When there are two synagogues, You don't go to either one. And they think nothing of it. Some of them even fancy themselves rabbis. That's how they submit their names to the telephone company. And that's how they appear in the telephone book. And Shabbos morning, when they get an aliyah, they want that the shamash should call them up. Yamod harav ploni ben ploni. They want to be called rabbis. But they don't defend their title. So along comes Lakish. And he has a different title altogether for this fellow who sees his neighbors walking to the synagogue on Shabbos afternoon, but he closes his blinds so nobody should see him praying at home. Reish Lakish tells us that he is not a rabbi. He is a shachin ra, an evil neighbor, the same title given to the wicked nations who molested us for centuries. And Reish Lakish quotes the pasuk about our bad neighbors of Ammon, Moab, and Edom in order to prove his point. How do I know that this neighbor of ours is deserving of the title evil? Ko Hashem, so said Hashem. Al kol haroim. About all of the evil neighbors who touched the estate that I gave to my people Yisrael as their inheritance. And the Navid describes there the punishment that will be meted out to these nations because they were such evil neighbors. Now the question is, when our sages quote a pasuk to back up one of their statements, so we understand that usually it's not the plain meaning. We call it a drasha. It's something more than a plain meaning. However, it has to have some connection with the pasuk itself. It shouldn't be entirely alien from the spirit of the pasuk. And so we are puzzled because this pasuk is not talking about neighbors who don't come to Davin. It's talking about neighbors who shoot arrows at us. So let's say this rabbi, he's a rabbi in the telephone book at least, is passing by the synagogue and he picks up a stone and he throws it at the shul and breaks a window pane. I don't know why he would do it, but imagine such a thing. Every day as he passes by the synagogue, let's say in the morning on the way to work, he picks up a stone. And breaks a window. So it makes sense that we'd call him a bad neighbor. You could say there's a proof from this Pasuk that he is included in Shecheinai Haroim. Absolutely. But if he passes by, it just doesn't come in. So what is the proof from this Pasuk that he is called a bad neighbor? I hope the question registered. Amon and Moab and Edom, they molested us. They harassed us. They made inroads and tried to conquer the land. Again and again, we had battles with them. And sometimes they oppressed us greatly. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, These bad neighbors I am going to punish. But how can we apply this pasuk to someone who respects the shul? He never harms the property of the synagogue. Only he doesn't go in all the time when others go in. How does that make him the bad neighbor of this pasuk? So we're going to have to say that these nations were called bad neighbors for an entirely different reason than we imagined. Of course, there were our enemies who molested us for many years, absolutely. But an evil neighbor is more than that. An evil neighbor means someone who lives nearby. He lives in proximity to someone good whom he can learn from. And he doesn't change for the better. It's a neighbor who doesn't take advantage of being a neighbor. When HaKadosh Baruch who puts enemies around his people, it's for the purpose that the enemy should learn from us and become good. Do you hear that? It's a big Chiddush. The Gemara is teaching us. Ammon and Moab and Edom were placed near Eretz soil in the hope that they would choose to be good neighbors, that something would come from them. And to a certain extent, it did work. We know that Rus came from Moab. How did that happen? Only because Moab was next door. So now you know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu settled Moab near our boundaries. So that there should be a Rus. Rus is a result of a divine plan. A plan of divine geography. And Rus means David HaMelech. We forget about it now in retrospect. We forget that David came from Rus. That's some accomplishment. That's a big achievement. The truth is, from Amun, there also came a precious soul, Nama HaMonis. She is an ancestress of the family of the kings of the Bais David, and she came from Amun. So Rus came from Moab, and Nama came from Amun. It means the Melech HaMashiach comes from these two women, from these two nations, Bavakama. That's no small matter. It means that Mashiach will come because of good, Neighbors, and the plan was to bring back many Ruses, many Namas, not just one. And there's no question that there were many more. From Edom there came a very great soul, Agrippa I. He was brought up among Goyim. He lived like a Goy in Rome. But when the emperor appointed him king of Judea, he made up his mind to become a Talmud of the sages. He was so firm, he was so pious, and so humble that he became beloved by the entire nation. So Adam accomplished at least one tzaddik. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not satisfied with that. Because a good neighbor is someone who goes all out. And so Hashem gave his eternal psak. These nations are evil neighbors. Shecheinei haroim. And now we are learning why. They are called bad neighbors because they didn't look across the boundaries at their neighbors. The Am Yisrael were an exceptional people, and there was a lot to learn. But these evil neighbors kept their eyes closed. Their minds were closed. That's a bad neighbor of the worst kind. And therefore, the Gemara learns from this about a man who has a good shul in his neighborhood. Others are going there to Daven, to go to Shurim, to learn Musa, and he doesn't come in. He doesn't look at his neighbors and seek to emulate them. That's a bad neighbor. Worse than if he broke the shul window. The pesach of the toida is that if you're not utilizing the opportunities that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to you, then you are an evil neighbor, just like Amon and Moab. And all of those punishments in that pasok are Khalila for you as well. That's a very big responsibility you're hearing about now. And you shouldn't let it be like water off a duck's back. When a person doesn't utilize the opportunity of emulating and imitating the good deeds of his neighbors, he has to know that he's a sore thumb in the neighborhood. A good neighbor is always looking out for the righteous ways of his neighbors and trying to acquire them for himself. Now, in order to understand this a little more, We are going to study a subject that deserves our attention. You remember when our first mother, Chava, gave birth for the first time in history, she had to choose a name for her son. Now today. When a mother gives a name, it's not such an earth-shaking event. She passes by a movie theater on King's Highway and she sees a name in lights. And that's it. That's going to be the name of the child that she's carrying. If it's Grace or Gwendolyn, or whatever is the name of that virtuous woman. That's going to be the name of her child. If it's a boy, the same thing. That's where you get the name Jeffrey. You know, a few years back, I would be sitting by my window or walking on the street, and all day long I would hear, Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey this, Jeffrey that, all day. It looks like everybody was naming Jeffrey. What was it? There was once upon a time a movie star named Jeffrey. So now you had a whole generation of mothers who named their boys Jeffrey. Or if they are better people. She calls up their rabbi and asks him, What kind of name can I give that resembles this and this name of my Bubby? Her Bubby was named, let's say Yenta, and it's a boy, so she doesn't know what to do. Well, what else is her rabbi good for? So she calls him up on the telephone to ask him this pressing question. And so the loyal rabbi pulls down from the shelf his Evin HaEzer. Hilchus Gitin. That's the only way he uses it anyhow. And he opens it up to a certain part. Shemus Anoshim. There's a whole list over there of names in olive base Order. It's used to clarify the proper spelling of names for when they are written in a get. And he looks under the Yud. And he finds something, Yonasan. So he calls her back on the telephone and tells her, Yonasan. And that's how the little boy gets his name. So it's one of the two ways, either the movie star or Lahavdil the rabbi. But originally, when a name was given, it meant much more than that. The name meant something. It was a teaching, especially when our first mother gave a name. You can be sure it was of the utmost significance. Now, when Chava gave birth for the first time in history, she was understandably, immensely excited. Up until then, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu created humans. And here, she had just witnessed the miracle that from her came a human being, complete in every detail. And therefore, she exclaimed, I have acquired a man from Hashem up to now. There were two servants of Hashem, Adam and Chava, and now reinforcements are coming up. That is how the first mother regarded her child as an acquisition for Hashem. And that's why she called his name kayan However, you are going to hear something tonight, a little insight into this name. But first you must know the following principle. When we learn Chumash, and we find the Pasuk gives a reason why such a name is given, even though an explanation is given, it doesn't exhaust the explanation of the name. You hear that? Even when a reason is given in the Torah, don't think it's the end of the story. For instance, when Leah gave birth to Yehuda, she called him that name because she said, "Hapam Oideh Es Hashem. This time I shall praise Hashem. She was so happy that she had another son, and she said, "I will praise Hashem even more than before." And she called his name Yehuda. He shall praise. But we see that when Yaakov Avinu was blessing this son, he said, "Yehuda, atayaduha, achecha, Yehuda, your brothers will elevate you." Breshis. from the word hod, which means to elevate. So we see that Yaakov Avinu put an entirely different meaning into the name she was talking about elevating and praising Hashem. And her husband understood it in the sense that Yehuda himself will be elevated, an entirely different meaning. And along come our sages in Medrash Muel. And they put another meaning into the word, a very good meaning. Yehuda means he is going to praise Hashem because from him will come forth David HaMelech who will say praises to Hashem. And that's exactly what happened. The whole world till this day resounds with Shiri David decha. That's our whole Tefila. And even Lahav the other Gentiles say the Psalms of David. And so the principle we have to follow is that the names that were given in the Torah with explanations. That's not the sole explanation. And therefore, we understand that there is another layer of understanding why Chava gave her son the name Cain, but et Cain, and she gave birth to Cain. Atomer kaniti ish et Hashem. And she said, I acquire a man for Hashem, Chava said. Hashem, I am grateful to you because you have given me a purpose in life. I was able to acquire a man for you, to bring a human being into this world to serve you. Chava was saying, "Kanisi, I acquired something for myself. I got something out of life. A woman who has more children is getting the most out of life because what's as big as accomplishing offspring? Sons and daughters. It's a tremendous acquisition. So Kaniti really means, I got something out of life. And when she called her son Kain, she wanted him to follow suit. That's included in the name Kayan. She intended it as a tefillah that he should be a man who is koine, someone who acquires things. He should get busy acquiring for himself all the things that will make him successful in the next world. And you can be sure that when Cain's mother gave him that name, she wasn't Yitze with just the naming ceremony alone. She expected Cain to make use of his noble name and imbue himself with the spirit that he has to get out of life, all that he can. And she spoke to him all the time about that. Kain, my son, you know when you were born I gave you this name because I don't want you to ever forget that your name is from the word Kaniti, to acquire. I want you to be an acquirer, a go-getter. And she expected him to think about that every time he heard his name being called. Every time she called him, Cain, come here and take out the garbage, please. Or Kain, please go outside to the field and help your father with the plow. She was instructing him, My son, you're not here just to exist. Kain, you're here to be a koine, to get things out of life. What things? What things are he to acquire? That's an entire subject. Many, many lectures it would require. But she had in mind certain things, certain great things that man is expected to acquire in this world. Kene chokhma Kene Bina wisdom and understanding of Akadosh Baruchu, to acquire good character traits and good habits and good deeds that's what the first mother wanted from her first child and that's our function in life the first person ever to be born in this world was given this most noble name to teach us the noble lesson that every person born into this world after him is born for acquiring to get things out of life, to get mitzvahs to get Torah, to get good character, to get Das, to get emuna That's what life is for. For acquiring all the greatness that is possible to achieve in this world. We didn't come into this world just to live out our lives and have nice quiet existence with a little bit of kosher fun and entertainment once in a while. No, that is not the purpose. This world is only a preparation for the world to come, and we are here to be kaiins, to be koine, to acquire merchandise. There are certain things we have to accomplish while we're here, a great many things. But that's not the end of the story, because now we are going to hear that kine Kuf Nun He to acquire is related to Kane, Kuf Nun Aleph, to be envious. If you studied a little dikduk, so you should know that the hay and the aleph are interchangeable. Kane and kane are the same word. So, kane, to acquire from your neighbor, and kane, to be envious of what your neighbor has, are related. And it's because a person only becomes an acquirer if he's a jealous fellow. And when Chava gave her son the name Kayan, an acquirer, she knew about that. Whatever dig-duk we know, she knew a thousand times better. She prayed that her son should be a jealous fellow, that he should never be satisfied with his accomplishments. Instead, he should see what others are accomplishing in their lives, and he should be jealous of them. She wanted that he should try to outdo even his father in greatness. And that's what he tried. You know... The first korban, the first sacrifice in history, was brought by Adam HaRishon. Chazal of Oedazorah says, he sacrificed an ox, a one-horned ox. And that's why Cain went ahead and brought offerings. Because he had learned from his mother that he had to be jealous. And so he was jealous of his great father. Any good thing his father did, he also wanted to do. That's the good jealousy that every person is born with. There's not a human being in the world that doesn't have a kina in him. Every normal person can feel the stirring of jealousy in his heart. And there's no question that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. In order that we should acquire things, HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into man's mind the quality of envy. That is why there is such a thing as jealousy. Of course, people who never studied the subject, they don't know what it's for and so they misdirect it. It's stirring, it's busy, very busy, but it's busy with something else. Somebody has a better car than you have, a more expensive home, other things that aren't important, and you're jealous. It's a waste of good energy. It's not for that purpose. You're taking a beautiful emotion and you're wasting it on nothing. Not only wasting, it's dangerous, like it says in EOV. Ufoite tamit kina. A fool will be put to death by his envy. You know that people have died because of envy. A man goes to the hospital and he has annoying pain. And nit engedacht. The diagnosis is that dreaded sickness. How did it start? He ate himself up with envy about things that don't matter. Things that are beyond his control. And he caused the cancer in himself. Many people contract illness because of envy. Urkav atzamot kina. Envy is a rot in the bones. Mishle. Not only do you lose weight, you lose your fat because of envy, but it even causes your bones to rot away. Now why is it that Hashem would invent such a powerful torment that can so easily ruin men's lives? The answer is that it is most essential in order that mankind should not be complacent. They shouldn't be satisfied with what they have. Man must have a certain drive a desire to acquire all of the good ideals and good attitudes and good deeds of his neighbors. Jealousy means if you see someone who stands a good Shemoy so you say, that's something that I wish to acquire, I'm going to do the same. If you see someone accomplishing in Torah or in acquiring good Midas or in creating a peaceful and happy marriage, and you are jealous, you're using the function of jealousy the way Hashem intended it. Kina tar The envy of bookmen causes wisdom to increase. Baba Basra. Now you know what envy is for? It's for the purpose of life. That is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us this powerful motivation. And the wise man is constantly revitalized by his righteous envy to become more and more of a tzaddik. More and more righteous. And that is the purpose of life. To gain all the good qualities and improve constantly. And so we come back now to the beginning of tonight's talk. Ammon and Moab were called Shekheni Haroim. Our evil neighbors. Not only because they molested us throughout history. But because they were neighbors of good people. The best people the Am Yisrael, and they didn't use that opportunity to envy their ways and to seek to emulate them. And we're learning now that all of us are good neighbors, or Khalilah, the opposite. You know, we have next to us an apartment house. There are nice people next door, Jews. They walk by, some even compliment us on how handsome our building looks. But that's not called good neighbors. They don't come in here to join us in our shiurim. They're not jealous of the progress that we're making. People in their blindness typically ignore everybody else. They think that nobody has anything that's worth emulating. And therefore, each person continues on his beaten path. But we are learning now that one of the reasons we're in this world with other people is because they have something to teach us. That's the way to utilize your neighbors and your acquaintances, to have before your eyes all the models of good qualities. Whatever you see that somebody has, any good quality, you should be envious and try to acquire it as well. Don't worry, they won't lose them. Now some people are good at emulating, only that it's all the bad things they see around them that catches their eye. Here's a fellow who says, in this and this Stiebel, I don't want to say the name." they dive in fast or they dive in late after zaman Kriya Shema. that shtibel is known for that and so he also adopts that principle some principle so he goes around adopting good principles from everybody and he ends up being a man of principles little by little he collects all the bad things until he becomes a museum of all undesirable qualities oh no that's the opposite of a good neighbor A good neighbor chooses carefully what to emulate. And the models are endless because everyone has different virtues. If you look at every person, you'll find at least one thing that you should try to kidnap for yourself. How could it be that people can complacently walk into a synagogue and see someone who has achieved learning and they don't feel the slightest urge to emulate or to outdo him? Don't they have that natural instinct of jealousy towards their fellow man? This man gets up early. And he comes to the shul before davening for a year. Another man remains late in the shul after Marev. When everyone else has gone home. The one who gets up early may leave early. And the one who comes later, he remains later. So if you know what jealousy is for, you try to acquire the qualities of both. You can't do both? Okay. But at least one of them you have to acquire. And so everyone has to get busy being jealous and acquiring things from others. When you're in the synagogue and you see a person standing along shemona Esrei, even a little bacharel, you'll say, I want that too. A neighbor a few blocks down davens up a storm. He enjoys davening. So you decide you're going to acquire that too. You're jealous of him. Very good. Go ahead and try to emulate him. Learn to put your heart into your tefillah. You see people knowing Gemara. Don't be complacent about that. I have to know Gemara too. Why shouldn't I be finishing Masechtas and making Siumim just like him? You know what it means to have the mere yeshiva as our neighbor? It's a blessing. We can't thank Hashem enough that we have the Mir as our neighbors. But for many people in Flatbush, it's a serious problem. You think it's a favor to everyone? Oh no! For bad neighbors, it's not a favor at all. Up until the time that the yeshiva settled here, Flatbush was exonerated. It was one big bush. It was nothing. It was a wilderness, a spiritual wilderness, where people wandered around like wild beasts. And you couldn't blame them too much. What could you expect of them? But now they have a fortress of Teirah in their midst. And now things are not so good for them anymore. Because now you are expected to be a good neighbor. By the way, now you know why the Mir Yeshiva was exiled to Vladbush. The Mir Yeshiva was in Mir, a tiny town in Poland, and it had very many neighbors. So as long as HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that the Jews living in the towns in Poland were good neighbors and they were utilizing the Mir Yeshiva by sending Talmidim to learn there and bring the Torah spirit back to their hometowns, so they deserved the Mir Yeshiva in their neighborhood. But when he saw that the towns in Poland and Lithuania, we're now sending less and less boys to the yeshiva. So HaKadosh Baruch said, You're becoming bad neighbors now, and so I have a better place for the yeshiva. Flatbush needs the Mir yeshiva. And now, it's a big responsibility on our shoulders. Why aren't we becoming better as a result? It means that each one of us must get busy becoming jealous of the Mir yeshiva. Only the young men there should learn Pasmodo. Why shouldn't we also learn Bahasmada? A good neighbor says to himself, If they are sitting and learning, so will I. I can't come every day. I can't do it the same measure. But at least I'll come on the long Friday nights and Shabbos mornings and Shabbos afternoons. You can't go to the yeshiva? So get together with a few chaverim and make your own mere yeshiva in your synagogue. And if you can't get the people in your shul to do it, then sit at home And make a mere yeshiva in your own home. If you want to be a good neighbor in the eyes of Hashem, you will emulate that as much as possible. On Moitzei Shabbos. Instead of wasting my life going to visit Uncle Jake in Crown Heights, I'll be like the yeshiva boy who spends his Saturday nights in the base medrash. I want to become a gadol batayiru too. You'd be surprised. Even if you start late in life, You can become a very big Talmud Chacham in your spare time. And the neighbors we can use as models for ourselves are endless if we would only open our eyes. Some people can find a neighbor, a Chosid. I don't mean Chosid in the sense of opposed to a Misnagid. Chosid means a servant of Hashem. Maybe he's succeeding in understanding Amuna, in becoming a Baal Das. You see that he's putting his heart into thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the style of the Choy Halavavus. Another neighbor has good character and derech eretz. Somebody else guards his tongue. He doesn't talk much. And even when he does open his mouth, he counts his words. And he's careful not to speak about people. Oh, that's what I'd like to be. Try to acquire that from him. Or here is a housewife who stands on her feet all day long and loyally prepares food and cares for everybody in the house. So it's a lesson for others to emulate. How to be loyal to your family, to think of others all day long. These housewives deserve to be riding on marble horses. There should be statues built in their honor for their lifetime of self-sacrifice. Some women are thinking about the Shabbos lessons that we discuss here while they're cooking. She's standing at the stove like the Kohen Gadol in the Kaddosh Kadoshim. Why can't every woman emulate that? Of course you can. Here's a man who is a Baal Tzedakah. When you see that, you shouldn't look at it stolidly, phlegmatically. I want to acquire that too. There's a woman over here, not too far from here, who is busy helping the poor people. I know her, and she's always sending parcels to the needy. She's gathering clothing and helping families. She's helping poor girls get married. A lot of good things that she is doing. How can we live right here, only a short distance away, and not make use of that model? Sometimes you see a Kolel couple staying for years in the Kolel, denying themselves everything. Living in a tiny flat in one of the worst tenements. And she is working every day, in addition to the fact that every once in a while, there's additions to the family too. These idealists are living a life of Torah. Now, how is it that people don't envy them? Instead of looking down on them, start looking up. You have to look up. Very high. You should envy the amount of children they have. That's a great thing to emulate. Children. A family with a lot of children. Everybody should feel... I wish I could do that. You remember? Rachel <speaking in Hebrew> Rachel was jealous of her sister, Bracious. We have no idea how profound her jealousy was when she saw her sister acquiring such a tremendous achievement, and she was lagging behind. Rachel understood what it meant to have a child. She had the tradition handed down from the beginning Kaniti Ish Hashem, and she wanted to acquire things. In this world too. And she davened harder because of that. She davened her heart out. And finally, just because of her deep desire to acquire what her neighbor had, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed her to participate. And that's the great lesson that we're learning now. Every one of us has to get busy envying and acquiring good things all the days of our lives. And that's the lesson of Divine Geography that we spoke about in the beginning of our talk. One of the reasons why HaKadosh Baruch settles us wherever we are with the neighbors and acquaintances that we have is so that we should be good neighbors by means of taking lessons from their good qualities. All of the good qualities that people possess are models for us to imitate, and we were put into the world with them in order to learn from each one whatever we can. That's one of the great lessons that our sages learned from this week's Parsha. How a Kaddish who settled the nations on the borders of Eretz Canaan in order to test them. Will they be good neighbors or not? And the most important lesson is for us. Are we going to be the best neighbors possible by means of envying and by emulating all the good things around us? Have a wonderful Shabbos! Let's get practical. Neighbors of the Beis HaMikdash. The best opportunity for learning from good neighbors was in the days of the Beis HaMikdash, when the Shekhinah was among us, and sadikim surrounded us on all sides. We were able to walk in the streets of Yerushalayim and see Nevi'im, Nizirim, Kohanim, and Chachamim. And one of the reasons for the Chorban and the gullus was because we were evil neighbors, and we failed to learn from them. Belin there this week I will make an effort to learn from the good neighbors who surround me. Every day I will choose one person whom I come in contact with often and study one good aspect of his or her personality which I will then attempt to acquire. By being good neighbors, we will merit the fulfillment of the verses in Yirmiah. Thus said Hashem, As for my evil neighbors, I am going to uproot them from their soil natshi aitam then after i have uprooted them ashuv v'khamtim i will take them back into favor v'ashivotim ish l'naharato v'ish l'artzo and restore them each to his own inheritance and his own land bimherabi amenu amen